Small Strange Stories UK here again, Series 3, Episode 35, um, calling this one The St. Boswell's Haunting. Well, I thought I would put out a short paranormal podcast to finish Series 3 before I take a summer break. I'm working on a couple of complicated cases at the moment that I hope to post for Series 3, but I've run out of time on them, so they'll be in Series 4. And, of course, I have to finish the Maybrick case, which will also feature in Series 4. This shorter podcast will still be a bit of a ramble at times. And, as always, it will be recorded in one take without any editing. So, in this podcast, we will be considering an apparition at St Boswell's in the Borderlands, Roxburghshire. St Boswell's is a small village on the south bank of the River Tweed. The village is perhaps best known for being on the route of St Cuthbert's Way, a pilgrim path that links Melrose Abbey to Lindisfarne. There's a gypsy fair felt on St Boswell's Village Green each year starting, well, today, 18th of July, when I'm recording this. The village green at St Boswell's is said to be the biggest in Scotland at about 40 acres. On a side note, searching YouTube for clips of St Boswell's, I've never actually been there, there is a video that I found interesting about British Resistance Bunker made by the Secret Army during World War II. Uh, It was being excavated at a wood near St Boswell's. It seems there was a lot of military activity in the area during the last war. On the subject of World War II, there is a link with the last podcast that I posted, which was about the Rudolf Hess flight that was to be met by the Duke of Hamilton and his right-wing buddies, his right-wing aristocratic friends, determined to sign a peace deal with the Nazi state in Germany. The public house in St Boswell's is named after the Duke of Becklesh. Actually, it's, I think it's pronounced uh, Buklu, the Duke of Buklu. I sometimes wonder about the pronunciation of Scottish aristocratic names. Is it the result of the Gaelic language being mixed with English? Anyhow, the Duke of Becklesh, or Buklu, kept his hunting hounds at St Boswell's and the Dukes had a strong connection to the area. During the time of the last war, the 8th Duke of Buclou, whose sister was married to the King's brother, was dismissed from his position of Chief Steward after verbal attacks on the Prime Minister Churchill, as the Duke wanted a deal with the Nazis, no doubt to protect his landholdings. He was said to be the biggest private landowner in Britain at the time, and the Duke seemed to hold views and opinions that would not be acceptable today. The present Duke, the 10th Duke, is a Tory grandee, being very wealthy, his position being described by the Labour Home Secretary uh, back in 1997, I think that was Straw, as having attitudes typical of the unrepresentative hereditary peers owing his vast acreage and place in the House of Lords in Parliament to being the bastard son of Charles II. Anyhow, another hereditary duke was the Duke of Hamilton, 
The Duke of Hamilton's family are related to the Queen on her maternal side. The 14th Duke was a cabinet minister and was supposed to meet up with Hess when he arrived in Scotland during World War II uh, to push for a peace treaty. His younger brother, Malcolm Douglas Hamilton, was also working for the right-wing cause and was amongst a group of British aristocrats that helped establish General Franco in Spain, arms dealing before the Spanish Civil War in 1936. There's a radio programme called Franco's British Friends. It's uh, on the BBC side. It's available now on the document programmes. I'll put a link to it on uh, on the website. The Douglas Hamiltons were fascists at the time when there was a struggle with communists. It was like a class war of the 1930s called the Devil's Decade. The right wealthy aristocrats and landowners supporting fascism. The left, supposedly the working classes, supporting socialism or communism. Some, like Douglas Hamilton, supported Franco and the fascists. Others, like George Orwell, supported the socialists who had been voted to power in Spain during the just prior to the Spanish Civil War. It's not known if the Duke of Hamilton still pushed for a peace deal after the Hess flight failed, but the Duke and his family were all said to be fully behind the war effort as it took off from men. Anyhow, before I get dragged along another tangent, I would like to introduce Alastair Douglas Hamilton, who was the son of Malcolm. Alastair wrote a book about his father called The Lord of the Skies, and Alastair can be heard on the document programme explaining his father's position. Alastair Douglas Hamilton also made the media headlines in 1994 over the rights to some aristocratic title, which went to court and involved all sorts of aristocratic and Latin experts. Anyhow, Alistair lost the case, but insisted that it had not caused a rift in the family and they all remained friends. It was just a squabble amongst the aristocracy over the rights to a title. It was the Earl of Selkirk. The reason that we've gone into Alistair Douglas Hamilton's family business is because he is the link with the paranormal episode. Alistair Douglas Hamilton lives at Lisodden House at St Boswell's. This is a four-storey fortified house that was rebuilt in 1544 after being wrecked by Henry VIII's armies invading Scotland. It seems that today the house offers an upmarket bed and breakfast. Lisodden House, before Alistair Douglas Hamilton's lived at the house, it seemed that the Scott family were in residence in the house for over 300 years. One of the Scott family being the romantic novelist and author and poet Sir Walter Scott. They were also probably related to the Duke of Becklow, whose family's name is also Scott. Well, this is where our story starts. The information for this story coming mainly from the journals for the Society of Psychic Research, November 1893, and October 1900. The Society received a letter from a Miss E. E. Guthrie, who lived in Orm Square in London. She was passing on a letter from a friend of hers, a Miss M. W. Scott, who lived at the Southern House, St. Boswell's. 
This is Margaret Scott. And she gave details of an apparition seen by her and her sister in daylight. Margaret Scott's first sighting of the figure was on the 7th of May, 1892, between 5 and 6 in the late afternoon. She explained that she'd gone for a walk and was returning home. On the road where she was walking, it was mainly level. But part of the homeward journey, there was a short incline with a sharp corner at the top of the slope. From a heightened position, one can see the whole of the road with its hedges and banks on either side. While on her walk, Margaret felt an urge to run down, continuing her journey. She explained that she had not gone many steps when she stopped as she saw a tall man dressed in black in front of her. He was walking at a moderate pace. As she did not want him to see her running, she thought that it may appear unladylike, she stopped and waited for him to put some distance between them. She watched as he came to another sharp corner and then she continued along the road. She said that she could make him out through the hedges which were now partly obscuring him from her view. While she was watching, the figure, the man, seemed to disappear. There did not seem to be any place where he could have hidden himself. Margaret made her way to the corner which the figure had turned and a little down the road she saw one of her sisters standing looking around, bewildered. She did not realise that her sister would be there. She came up to her and she asked, Where did that man disappear to? When talking about the incident it seems that they had both seen the same figure that disappeared. The only difference, as explained by Margaret, that she saw the figure from the rear and her sister saw the figure in front approaching her. Both sisters saw the figure disappear, dematerialise. The sister was called Louisa Scott, and she said that the time was 5.45pm, and she thought the man was a clergyman. When he disappeared, there was nowhere to hide. Well, he couldn't hide himself anywhere, as the hedge was so thick, and it was too high to jump over, and the field, open fields either side were too wide for him to make a getaway without being seen. Anyway, the man could not have climbed over the hedge without being seen. They explained that the conditions were sunny and bright and the road was dry. There'd been no recent rain. Louisa explained how mystified that she felt when the figure vanished and she was then surprised to see Margaret turn around the corner and run down the slope towards her. Then Margaret coming to a sudden halt and act just as she'd done five minutes earlier, looking around, puzzled, asking, where did the man disappear to? But what was described as being the strangest point of all, as Louisa explained, was that when the man disappeared for her, this is when he appeared to, or seemed to appear to her sister, before he disappeared again. Louisa explained that her sister had a full view of the figure and noticed everything about him while she only noticed his long black cloak coat. She was not aware of his lower half. Louisa also explained that she took her eyes off the man momentarily before he disappeared, but Margaret never took her eyes off the figure for until he vanished. The next appearance of the apparition was towards the end of July 1892, a couple of months later. It was about the same time of day, in the late afternoon, 
This time Margaret was working with another sister, Susan, Susan Scott, and nearing the same spot where they had seen the figure in May, they saw the figure again approaching them down the road. Oh, I do believe that is our man. I shall not remove my eyes from him, said Margaret. They watched for a short while, and then the figure seemed to fade away towards a bank. Susan and Margaret rushed to the spot where the figure vanished, but they found nothing, not a sign of him. In the opposite field, there were two boys on top of a hay cart. When asked, they told the sisters that they'd seen nothing, which the sisters thought odd, as they had an unobstructed view of the road, and the two boys would have seen anyone walking along it. When comparing notes, it seemed that Margaret had seen the whole figure, while Susan had only seen the head and shoulders. The man was dressed in black, consisting of a long coat, gaiters and knee breeches. His legs were stick thin. Around his throat was a wide, white cravat, which sounds like she was describing some kind of clerical collar. And he was wearing a low-crowned hat. He was described as seeming old-fashioned in his dress. His face, which was only seen in profile, was thin and pale. Margaret and her two sisters asked around to see if anybody else had seen the, uh, a similar figure. Two years earlier, it appeared that two boys claimed to have seen the same apparition, which on coming up behind them suddenly melted away. There were also blue lights seen after dark at the spot where the figure had been seen. These lights had moved around. It seemed that people had followed these lights when they had been spotted, but to no avail. Others had seen the figure and some people would not travel along that uh, road after dark. There were rumours of gypsies murdering a child at the spot, but it was beyond the recollection of the oldest inhabitant of the area. Margaret discovered a story that two girls aged about 12 from the village were collecting wild strawberries on the bank of the road when they heard a thump on the ground beside them. On looking up they saw nothing and they continued foraging. And the sound happened again. They looked up and saw a tall man staring at them with a dreadful expression as they explained it. The two girls fled, but on looking back and seeing the figure still standing at the same spot, as they watched the figure, it gradually faded away. The girls gave a similar description as given by Margaret Scott, but they also said that around his face it was as white as death, and there seemed to be a filmy white sheet or vapour around his clothing. Margaret asked the girls to give a written statement, but they never got round to doing, doing it. As they were so young, she didn't pursue the matter. The next time Margaret saw the figure was on the 12th of June, 90, sorry, 1893, and she sent a letter to Miss Guthrie with the details on the 14th of June. Margaret wrote that it was a few minutes before 10 in the morning, when on the same stretch of road she saw far in front of her a figure. At first she thought, given the time of day, it may be a woman that she knew, and so she hurried to catch her up. She had not gone very far when she realised that it was the apparition, the apparition that she had been looking out for for many months. Margaret said that she wasn't imagining it, she hadn't been thinking of the figure, 
In fact, she had not seen the figure for many months. Margaret said that she and her sisters had been looking out for their figure in the past, but they must have walked that road hundreds of times and at different times of the day. On this occasion, she said she didn't feel at all afraid. She hoped to get a nearer look. Margaret started running towards the figure, but she said although he appeared to be walking slowly, she could never get closer than a few yards when the figure seemed to float or skim away. It was when the figure came to a standstill that she started to feel afraid, and so she also stopped. The figure turned to gaze at her with a vacant expression and a ghastly pallid features. The figure turned and walked a few steps, then stopped, looked back again, and then faded away from view at the same spot where he had vanished previously. Margaret reported that she was now frightened, and she turned to go home. Further down the road, she met a woman that she that knew about the reputation of the haunted road. When Margaret told her what she had just seen, the woman said that she would not go on by herself. So Margaret went on with her, keeping a lookout for the figure. In a letter sent to Miss Guthrie on the 28th of June, 1893, Margaret referred to the sighting again, saying that she had a splendid inspection of his appearance. The figure was wearing black silk stockings. He had shoe buckles, short knee breeches and a long black coat. She had difficulty in describing the hat worn, but said the figure was dressed as the clergyman of the last century, the 18th century. As there was a picture of such a clergyman they had at home dressed in a similar style. Miss Guthrie told the society, the SPR, that she knew what Margaret referred to, as her aunt also had an engraving, an engraving of Dr. Rankin, a minister of St. David's Parish, Glasgow, who was dressed as described as the figure. Miss Guthrie told the SPR that she knew the area well and she said that the hedge was a thick beech hedge, and the fields were open, so it would be impossible to penetrate the hedge or conceal oneself. Louisa Scott wrote to Miss Guthrie again on the 14th of August, 1894, telling her of the experience of a young governess that she knew, uh, called Mary Irvin. Miss Irvin was a governess at a hamlet of Greycrook, next to St Boswell's. She had often walked out uh, on the road where the figure had been seen without incident. But at a day in the spring of 1894, at about 4.15 in the afternoon, she saw a tall man dressed in a long black cloak with a low-crowned hat with the brim slouched over his eyes. She saw the figure in the distance. Mary Irvin did not take her eyes off him as she was acting strangely. She watched as the figure walked backwards and forwards between the turn of the road and a heap of stones about a hundred yards further down the road. He repeated this about six times. The last time he seemed to stop and talk to a man who was cutting the hedge. What struck Miss Irvin as strange was that the hedge cutter did not look round at him and he seemed quite unconscious of the figure's presence. Mary Irvin walked to the turn in the road and as she was almost upon the old man, just three yards away, he disappeared. Louisa said that it may seem foolish that Irvin did not ask the hedge cutter if he had been speaking to the figure of the old man, but Mary Irvin had told Louisa that the reason was because it was clear that the hedge cutter had not seen the man, 
and she did not want to appear foolish. The Society asked Mary Irvine to send an account of her experience so they could include it in the account that was published in the 1900 journal of the SPR. The Society lost the first page of her letter and could only publish the second page, which referred to the aftermath. The officer dealing with the correspondence was Mr Mears, or Myers, who was a stalwart of the SPR. Mary said that when she returned home, she described the gentleman that she'd seen to ascertain if anyone of that description lived in the village, but no one was able to help. Mary described the figure as looking like a clergyman with a long black cape over his coat. He kept his hands in his pockets. Margaret Scott had written to a local historian and author, George Douglas, hoping that he could throw some light on the matter In particular, a story of an old man coming from St Boswell's Fair and being murdered by gypsies a long time in the past. In a further letter to the SPR, Margaret told Mr Mayers that Mary Irvin was so upset by the incident when she saw the man that she went to a nearby house and had hysterics. Four years later, in 1898, Margaret wrote to the SPR to Mayers again, to say that the figure was still being seen. Margaret said that her most recent experience was a fortnight previous when she was coming down the road at dusk and she could hear footsteps walking next to her but could see nothing. She said that she felt a presence and was in a state of nervous terror but the feeling passed as she continued homewards. Margaret reported of another occasion when she was walking at dusk with her sister Susan in the autumn of 1897. They had visited a house and they were both returning home on a footpath in a little wood adjacent to the road. They were both talking upon different subjects when Margaret said they were about halfway down the road and if some by some magnetic influence their conversation ceased. She became aware of the apparition walking alongside them on the other side of the hedge. She was catching his movements through the gaps in the hedge. Margaret said that she was determined not to lose track of the figure, which she could make out through the hedge. She could hear no sound or footsteps. Susan saw her sister gazing vacantly when Margaret suddenly exclaimed, The man! At which point the figure seemed to vanish. When they arrived at the gate, which divides the wood from the road, there was no one to be seen. Margaret said that the figure had been walking next to them just three feet away, along most of the length of the track, but the whole time the figure was invisible to Susan. Margaret said that she did not feel able to look at his face. She said that the ghost always appears just when thoughts are bound up in something else, but if they are looking out for the figure, they're sure not to see it. She said that the figure was always seemed to inhabit the same stretch of road, but vanishes at different places. Margaret said that the figure is so well known in the area, many people have travelled the road hoping to catch a sight of it, but all failed to do so. The site where the path met the road, which is on the incline, is where the child was supposed to have been murdered by gypsies in the past. But uh, there were no definite facts that anybody was able to find. 
On the 17th of August 1900, Margaret Scott wrote to the SPR to say that the apparition had been seen by her twice recently, the last time being on the 16th of August, the previous night. There was a sighting on the evening of July the 24th, 1900. Margaret had been standing on the road, where the figure had been seen in the past, speaking to a friend, when she noticed the figure walking on in advance with his back to her. How he came to be there without passing them, she wrote, that she had not the faintest idea. Margaret wished her friend a speedy adieu without commenting on her that she'd seen the figure, and she hurried after the figure, which promptly vanished. This was about eight in the evening, as she heard the church bells chime. Margaret had not told the woman who she'd been conversing with, as the woman was an unbeliever in such manifestations, and would have said that it was all in the imagination. The sighting on the 16th of August led Margaret to believe that the figure was a clergyman of the ancient school. On this occasion, the outline of the head and shoulders were easily visible. All black, save a white muffler-looking thing around his neck. His hair seemed light. He was clean-shaven and very pale. He was wearing a wide-awake hat, which is a broad-brimmed felt hat with a low crown. She did not notice the lower part of his body, as he was walking towards her on an incline. Margaret said that there was a man with a pony and trap cutting grass by the roadside, within a few feet of where she saw the figure. When she questioned the man, he said that he had seen no one. Margaret said that he must have seen the figure, as it was so close. The man said, No man seen. Margaret suspected that he, along with the whole village, knows well the reputation of the road. The man looked slightly nervous and said that it wasn't a safe place to come down alone. The SPR sent some questions to Margaret Scott and she replied on the 26th of August. She said that the previous evening she was with two sisters and two friends trying to spot the figure again without success. All of her friends knew about the sightings of the figure and she was often asked if she'd seen the man recently by villagers. The SPR asked some questions. In reply, she said that she was too entranced with watching the apparition to take much notice of the man in the hay cart cutting grass until the vision had faded away. When she then turned her attention to the worker, who was actually facing the road at the place where the vision had disappeared a few seconds before, the pony and cart had moved a little from where the cutter was working and was closer to where the apparition had been seen. Margaret said it may have been a coincidence, but the pony seemed agitated when the apparition passed. Margaret also replied that she had questioned other people that uh, she had known to use the road frequently, one person who passed by each morning and evening, all year round, but nobody recognised the description that was given of the tall, dark old man. After publishing her story in the October 1900 journal, this is available online. I'll put a link on the blog on my website, which is www.strangestoriesuk.com. The SPR sent copies of the journal to Margaret. She replied to acknowledge the receipt and told news that she had just heard from two stepsisters, two old women who speak a broad dialect and who were both illiterate, 
One was a lodgekeeper at her home at Lucerne House. The old woman had told Margaret that about six years previous she had a terrible fright when she saw a man dressed in all black. She'd seen the figure beyond the church and he had suddenly vanished. The woman referred to the figure in black as the devil. The other woman had seen the figure as recently as August 1900. She was returning home from a mother's meeting. I had to look up the definition for this mother's meeting. Apparently it's a regular meeting of mothers connected with a parish who meet up to discuss matters. Anyhow, she was returning from such a meeting in Maxton, which is a hamlet a couple of miles from St Boswell's. It was dark, but not so dark that she could not make out what was around. When she got to the, the road, haunted road, she saw a tall figure just in front of her. They walked together for some time, and eventually she passed the man, who she said was so light of foot that he made no sound walking. The woman felt uneasy, so uneasy that she left the road and made her way to her home across fields. She said that nothing would now induce her to walk that road after dark. There was also a clergyman who had seen something, but he did not want to publicise or put in writing what he had seen. Margaret Scott told the SPR that she had heard by chance a story that may apply to the apparition. The ghost may have been a clergyman in St Boswell's who murdered his servant around 1740. She was trying to find out more information, but I can't find any record of uh, regarding this. There doesn't seem to be any records of a clergyman murderer, which surely would have been remembered if there was any truth in it. The SPR opined that it may have been the clergyman of the parish that would walk the stretch of road while pondering the sermon that he had to give, or thinking on other spiritual matters. This seems unlikely. It doesn't explain why no one recognised his description, or why he would suddenly vanish. The SPR said that they had first-hand evidence of uh, three of the Scott sisters, the governess, Mary Irvine, but the two illiterate Scotswomen did not sign a statement. The SPR said that they must bear in mind the effect of suggestion, which could not be ruled out. I take this to mean that Margaret had such a strong personality, she may have imposed her view or visions on others. Margaret Scott interviewed the mother of Carrie Miller, aged 13, who was one of the girls picking strawberries. Carrie's friend was called Anderson, and she was on a visit to St Boswell's but there was no statement forwarded to the SPR. The SPR thought that it was significant in this case that conscious efforts to see the apparition were always unsuccessful. In short, I don't think they were convinced by it. <clears throat> they thought, although nothing was ever said, I think they thought the strong personality of Margaret Scott had convinced others that there was something paranormal while she was having some kind of hallucination. Not included in the above are other theories that were put forward. Louisa Scott found that there was a story about an old man being murdered by gypsies, already mentioned, attending the St Boswell Fair, but again, no hard facts, just rumours. There is a hotel nearby called the Drybra Abbey Hotel, which looks a wonderful place to stay. I'm impressed by their grass roofs, which host nesting oyster catchers. Anyhow, 
it's supposed to be haunted at this hotel of a clergyman dressed in black, which is why I mention it. He was supposedly killed after it was discovered that he and the lady of their manor, the manor I suppose was the hotel in the past, were engaged in some kind of relationship. She was supposed to have taken her own life after discovering that the clergyman was dead and she is seen as the grey lady at the hotel. The hotel is on the north bank of the River Tweed, as the crow flies just half a mile from St Boswell's, although by road and crossing a bridge, about three miles. Other local stories include of Thomas Wilson, who was executed after being found guilty of murder at St Boswell's Fair. He was later found innocent, he is said by some to have walked the earth to prove his innocence. So maybe some people think that he may be the figure walking. I can add a personal experience here of haunted roads. When I was a child I had a nanny, well a woman who would come to look after us children after we arrived home from school. She seemed incredibly old to us, but she... Her name was Mrs Bone, had always been a keen cyclist and would ride a huge bone shaker bike to our house. One day she was talking to my mother and she was telling her of the time when she'd been cycling in the New Forest with her husband just after they were married. I'd guess this to be in the 1930s. Anyway, she told of an experience that frightened her and when they were cycling along they kept passing the same figure walking along the road. She couldn't explain it. She said that she thought it was an apparition. I include it here as it's a figure on a road and it could not be explained. Anyhow, that's it for Series 3. As I said, this is just a short throwaway episode. I'd like to thank you all for listening. I'd like to thank Damselfly for providing the background music. And I hope you will join me for, again for Series 4 in a few weeks' time. Uh, So for the time being, thank you, goodbye, and enjoy the rest of the summer.